Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. If you remember, um, this section of Scripture started all back in chapter 1 in verse 27, where it said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now it's all been connected together as we've been walking through it week by week. Last week, we had five phrases that helped us to walk through the verses. They were look back. Anytime we see therefore, we do what? We look back. They were you are loved, good job, keep working, and God is working. Today, we're going to add three more phrases to these as we continue to trace Paul's argument across this text. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 12 again. It says, Therefore, in light of all that you've seen before this, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world by holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The first phrase that we're gonna look at this morning is this, don't grumble, don't grumble. Last week it was, Paul's like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now this week he's like, and here's something that you need to work out. Do all things. How many things is all things? It's everything. Do all of your life, particularly your working out, your, your obedience. Do it all without grumbling or disputing. Do it without complaining and do it without arguing about the things that you're complaining about. Can you think of any examples of complaining? The Bible also calls it murmuring in the Bible. You should, you should maybe think back to the children of Israel. I don't know, across the whole of the Old Testament. I mean, at the Exodus, what are the people doing? They're murmuring about it being better off in slavery than it was after they get out of Egypt. Imagine that. In the wilderness, they're grumbling about food and water. They come to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey that the Lord has said he'll give to them. And what are they grumbling about? That the people are too big. They grumble about wanting a king and then they grumble because it's not the one that they wanted. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We see it across the whole of the Old Testament. You might be tempted to sit there and think, okay, Nate, what? Is this really that big of a deal? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is actually recounting the Exodus generation to the church at Corinth. And he ends it by saying this. 
He says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction. Okay, <laughs> that seems like it's a big deal to God. <laughs> Destroyed by the destroyer for, for grumbling? Grumbling is a massive deal to the Lord. And I think it's important that we remember it's sin. It's sin against others. It's sin against God. And he hates grumbling. And as we see it in this passage, we're meant to, to see that there's, there's no place for it in a church that is gonna be truly unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, what do we grumble about? We grumble about silly things sometimes. I, I, I'm gonna try to step on everybody's toes this morning. Uh, I'll start with mine. I just took a look this week and tried to pay attention to where I was grumbling. I grumbled about the, uh, the short lane that we have now out here in Avon that just comes to a random end right before you get to the church and it's six lanes across and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't wanna turn. Why am I in the turn lane? But here's the thing, I'm gonna grumble when they start doing construction to extend that lane. I grumbled this week about the wrong substitutions at my mobile grocery pickup. And the reason I grumbled about it is because I know that Amy's gonna grumble about it when I get home and I've got generic mac and cheese instead of the real stuff, and I've got grape juice instead of grapes. I grumble about the State of the Union address when it cuts into my favorite TV show. I grumbled this week because my uh, coffee was too hot, and then I grumbled when it was too cold. I grumbled this week because there was not enough sunshine, and the next day I found myself grumbling because the sun was in my eyes. I grumbled this morning because someone reminded me that next week is daylight savings time. <laughs> grumbled. We grumble about each other. Like seriously, someone sat in my seat this morning. Do they not realize that this is where my family sits? Which by the way, like I love looking out and seeing you guys move around on Sunday mornings because you get to meet other people that way. But wow, it really throws you off when you're preaching because you'll look down here and you're like, I even noticed Doug and Karen are sitting up here. This is I'm like, what are Doug and Karen doing there? They're not supposed to be there. Like it, it just throws you all off. <laughs> We come in and we grumble about the way kids check-in goes. Like, really, do they not realize it doesn't work best that way? We grumble because no one greeted us this morning. You guys grumble about your leaders. Yes, we know. But here's a confession. We grumble about you. We complain about the world in general, don't we? Politics, or should I say politicians. Um, X generation complains about millennials. Millennials complain about Z generation. Z generation complains about millennials. Boomers, you complain about all of us. <laughs> we complain about taxes and healthcare and traffic. We complain about what seems to be an increasing depravity in our world. We complain about the service at restaurants. Try to wrap your head around that one for a minute. 
This doesn't mean when we think about not grumbling, it doesn't mean that we don't care about some of these things. It doesn't mean that we don't give feedback and we don't have discussion and we don't work for change in the world and we don't speak truth in love. This doesn't mean that we deny difficult circumstances. This doesn't mean that we act fake even when things are hard. What this does mean is that we will choose to not complain and argue about it. I realized this week, just as I, as I took stock of my, uh, my own conversations and my own grumbling and disputing, I think this, is, this is most of what we do in the world, in our lives. And we live right now, especially in a, in a, a critical kind of critique culture. And so we'll find all kinds of creative ways to, to justify it and to give ourselves permission to do it and even entertain ourselves with complaining and arguing about literally everything. And I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, wow, if we cut this out of our lives, I'm really not sure what we'd talk about. We'd have a whole lot less television, that's for sure. There'd be fewer apps on our phone. And I, I really doubt if any social media platform would be able to sustain itself. But why? Why this here? Why is this sin such a big deal and singled out here by Paul for a special emphasis? Two reasons why I believe from this passage. One is this, because of what it reveals about our hearts. Because of what grumbling reveals about our hearts, which ultimately is pride. Right? This, is, this is rooted in selfish ambition and conceit, which we've just talked about in Philippians. It's, it's entitlement and ingratitude rather than humility and joy and praise and trust. And we think that we know best about everything and we know better than everyone, even God. Because our gripes and our di dissatisfaction, really they end up ultimately with him, don't they? He hasn't given us what we want. He hasn't acted how we think is best. He's taken something away that I didn't think he should take away or he hasn't taken away something that I think he should take away. And I, I, I think I can do his job better than him. I mean, think about the arrogance and even the idolatry that our grumbling represents. Grumbling reveals a heart that's really pretty unimpressed with God. It looks at the endless glory of the gospel and it says, yeah. We prefer to work out our salvation with grumbling and disputing rather than with fear and trembling. Awe and reverence for who God is and what he has done in our lives. So because of what it reveals about our hearts, the second reason this sin I think is singled out here for special em emphasis is because of how it destroys our testimony in the world. The children of Israel were meant to be light to the nations. And instead, they murmured and complained 
against God and ruined the purpose to which he had called them. And this passage tells us that it will do the same thing to us, which leads us to our second phrase as we walk through this is this, shine as lights, shine as lights. Look down at this, verse 14 and 15 here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you do what? You shine as lights. To shine is to to give off or produce light. Lights here, this is actually the word for luminaries or stars. Okay, so you're supposed to picture here when you see this shine as lights, you're supposed to picture stars in a dark sky and not just because they're beautiful. Remember what stars were being used for at this time. They were being used for navigation, okay? So you're meant to look at this and say, we're supposed to shine as lights. This is a star that stands out in contrast to the surrounding darkness of the sky and points you to where you need to go. That should sound familiar at Radiant. Our mission is to point all people to the passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. A few other verses in scripture that help us think about this. Matthew 5.14 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Daniel 12.3 says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life, the light of Jesus Christ in us and shining through us. So where do we shine? What's this verse say? It says, in a crooked and a twisted generation. We live in a crooked and twisted generation too, don't we? It's warped, our world is broken, it is even perverted in so many ways, and no matter how much we rejoice that the gospel seems to be going forward in tremendous ways, it still seems as if the darkness is increasing. I think it's important that we remember that this passage is originally not written to us, is it? It's written for us as scripture, but who's it written to? It's written to this church at Philippi in the first century. They also were living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And we resonate with that also, even even now. Why is that important to remember? I think because Christians in every generation around the world as we feel the twistedness around us at our particular cultural moment, 
we're tempted to, uh, to respond fearfully sometimes by trying to run away from the world and huddle together, don't we? In Acts chapter eight, the early church was even doing this. And the Lord allowed persecution as a means even by which he pushed them out and sent them to the ends of the earth. We shine where? Look down at this verse. We shine, verse 15 at the end of it, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights where? In the world. God has not taken us out of this world, but rather he sent us into the world to be, here it says, blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. That's not perfect. We're not perfect. What is that? That means pure, innocent, not offensive. It means that there's, there's nothing to criticize because of our sin. The darker the world, the more distinct God's people and the brighter our witness. See, we're meant to be an eternal family here. We're meant to gather together. We are meant to grow together. We're meant to be unified. We're meant to serve each other. But we cannot forget that God's means of reaching the world with the gospel is us. It's, it's us. How will the gospel go to our community? Through us. And not just us, the church, God's people around the world, but we're part of that. The gospel goes to the world through God's people, with God's word, and by the power of God's spirit. So we don't hide and huddle together and hope people just happen to wander in here on a Sunday morning and receive Jesus, although I hope it happens and it has. We are meant to live our lives. We are meant to testify with our words in this world to the glory of God and the beauty of the gospel. In our communities, in our spheres of influence, in our families, and even to the ends of the earth. And if we all try to retreat to some tiny Christian island where all of our politics line up perfectly and the tax and crime rates are to our liking and everybody loves Jesus, who's gonna shine in Indy? Who's gonna shine in Terre Haute? Who's gonna shine in, dare I say, San Francisco? Who's gonna shine in our schools and our workplaces and in our gyms and in our government centers? We are meant to be in this world. The new heavens and the new earth aren't here yet. God has placed us here in this point in time and history for a reason and that reason is to let the light in us be seen by everyone. Grumbling and disputing will dim 
our light in the world. How do I know that? Look at verse 15, because it says, do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a world where you shine. So in other words, if you are grumbling and disputing, you will not be blameless and innocent and children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation where you will shine. By refusing to have a grumbling and disputing spirit, we will increasingly shine out in contrast to an angry and twisted and dark world. And we will point them to the light of Jesus Christ. We shine by living blameless and innocent, grumble-free, unified lives in the midst of a crooked generation. So I ask, how do we do it? How, how do we do that? That's a seemingly impossible task. Eliminate grumbling. I've been trying all week as I've been preparing this. And the first thing I did this morning was complain about daylight savings time. He tells us in this passage, this leads into this next, this next phrase, hold fast. Hold fast. Look down at the passage again. Do all things, everything without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I'm gonna put in, maybe your translation has this, maybe it doesn't, by holding fast. That really helps us see how this phrase is acting here. By holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast, this means to, to hold on to or to cling to. It actually even can have the idea of continuing to believe or fixing your attention continuously on something. On what? On the word of life. Hold fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? Narrowly, narrowly here, this is the gospel as we've already seen it even unpacked over the last couple weeks, but more broadly, this is all of God's word that points us to the word of life and the redemptive storyline and all of its implications for our lives. In John chapter six, uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says some, some really difficult things for the disciples to understand about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We'll talk about those when we get to the Gospel of John someday. And his disciples are grumbling about this because it's difficult for them to understand. And a lot of them, it says, turn back and no longer walk with him because of it. And Jesus says to the 12, he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the, you are the Holy One of God. The gospel is life to us. I've got a teenager 
right now learning how to drive. And I just need to know, I asked her if I could use this illustration. And she just wanted it noted that she's doing a good job. And uh, she's learning really well and is, and is a great student. Um, but even if she's doing well, I don't know about you, if you've had a teenager, uh, when you're riding with her, you find that sometimes just for the last 20 minutes, you've just been clinging to something for dear life, like the handle overhead or the door or just yourself as you're like bracing yourself for what's next. And I found myself the other day, I was holding on to something so hard, I looked up and my, my knuckles were white and I opened up my hand and there's grooves in my hand from where I'm holding on to this, okay? That is what this is talking about, right? We hold on to the word of God until it leaves marks, until it leaves deep grooves of change in our lives through God's spirit's work. We cling to the word of life because through it we know God and we know his ways. This book is not our savior, okay? This is not our savior. Jesus Christ is our savior. But it's by his spirit, through his word, that he reveals himself to us. And we are changed. That's why the Bible's such a, a big deal around here. And hear me, I'm not telling you to just read your Bible and know it. I'm telling you to lay hold of it like your very life depends on it. Devour it, memorize it, study it until you believe it and apply it and obey it all in pursuit of God and of hope found in Jesus Christ and joy unshakable. Keeping our eyes fixed on the word of life continually. It reminds us of the humility of our savior. Keeping our eyes fixed on the word of life reminds us that we deserve nothing. And yet he has saved us and is accomplishing a work in us for his glory. It reminds us that he wants us to shine his light in this world. It reminds us that he is God and I am not and I need him for everything. Keeping our eyes fixed on the word of life through God's spirit roots out my grumbling heart's pride and it replaces it with gratitude and humility and joy. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How? by holding fast to the word of life. So Paul's like, don't grumble, shine, hold fast. And I love there at the end of verse 16, he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's like, he's like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't grumble, shine. Hold fast, why? So that my life's work of pouring into you will have been worth 
all of it. This is my hope. This is my prayer. He's saying, this is what I'm giving my life to so that you would hold fast and shine, unified, worthy of the gospel, free from grumbling and disputing. So let's get a little bit practical here for a minute. What's a specific area where you struggle with grumbling and disputing in your life? Something specific that you can think about. Um, Three steps towards rooting it out and dealing with it in our life. The first step is this, recognize it. Recognize it. Like this is, this is the hard step. Maybe when I asked that question, you thought immediately of something that you grumble about. I did that this week when I asked myself this question. But dig deeper than just that. And I think is what you'll find is there's a whole lot more that was really hard to see. I just encourage you even this week to pay attention to your speech at work, with your spouse, with your kids, if you're a teenager here, with your parents, with your small group on social media. Just pay attention and then ask the Lord to show it to you. And then ask him to show you the root of it. What are you wanting and why that's causing you to grumble? Is it in line with God's word? What hindrances is it placing in my life? And we're meant to do this, not just individually. We're meant to do this in community. Remember who this is written to? It's written to the the church, right? Lean into each other for help with this. I think this is why this even comes after the talk about humility, right? We've got to exercise some humility in community if we really want to lean into each other and help each other to root pride out of our lives. It's not easy sitting in small group and someone goes, hey, Nate, you're, um, you're grumbling and complaining. Do you, should you be doing that right now? Can we talk about this? Ouch. I mean, my initial reaction is, well, let me tell you how you've been grumbling and complaining. <laughs> All right, you've got to exercise that humility to hear this, but we are meant to do it. We're not meant to do this on an island. We're meant to do this together. So the first step is recognize where this is in your life. The second step is this, repent of it. Repent of it. Remember, this is sin. It's displeasing to the Lord. It dims our light in the world and it hinders the spread of the gospel in and from our midst. Take some time this week and humble yourselves before the Lord. Acknowledge his proper place in the universe and and yours and determine that you're gonna turn from this sin of grumbling and disputing. We call this biblically, we say, put it off. Shed it like a coat that you're taking off and you're throwing it aside because you don't need it anymore because hopefully spring is here. (laughs) 
Put it off, put it away, but don't just do that. Step three, replace it. Replace it. Biblically, we talk about this as putting on. We don't just put off that sin. We don't turn from that and create this void in our life. Instead, we put on what is right, what is good, what is pleasing to the Lord, what is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we replace grumbling instead with, with gratitude. Maybe, maybe in those moments where you're tempted to grumble, you need to stop and you need to even write down some things that you are grateful for and thankful to the Lord for. We'll find that as we seek to put on what is right and good and pleasing to the Lord, it actually puts off for us. It will push that sin of grumbling right out of its place if we will fill our lives with those things that combat against it. Maybe as you're grumbling, what you need to think about putting on is being an encouragement to someone else. Maybe you need to replace it with serving someone. Maybe you need to replace it with the truth of God's word. Maybe praise. Maybe you need to spend some time in those moments worshiping God and not yourself. For me, I've got, I've got a Spotify list. It's like my, my really jamming worship list that I like to listen to on my ways home, on my way home every day. And, and it's just the songs that I really like to worship with and I don't like anybody else seeing me. And, and my windows are really tinted on my car, so you can't see in, so it's great. And maybe, maybe you just need to have some of those moments where you're just like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna worship the Lord. I'm gonna worship the Lord, and I'm gonna ask for him to prune my grumbling heart and replace it with praise. We shine together as lights in a dark world by holding fast to the gospel and living humbly, joyful lives without grumbling. Oh, that that would be our testimony. Oh, that we would shine brightly against a dark sky and with our lives filled with praise and gratitude and encouragement and truth, would we point, would we help others navigate to the word of life, Jesus Christ? Father, we need your help this week. I love how this even harkens back to last week where you told us in your word to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's you who at work in us. Lord, would you help us to recognize where this sin is in our life? I was so humbled this week as I realized just how prevalent it was and how just how much I had allowed it to just 
permeate so much of my speech day to day. And then the humbling moment when you realize that it's not just your speech, but that those words and that grumbling is connected to something in my heart that's going on, Lord. So would you, would you help us to see that? Not just in those moments where we're grumbling, but to see what's actually taking place in us and what we are wanting that is distorted, that is causing us to argue and complain about so much. And then would you, by your grace, help us to, to repent of it, to root it out, Lord, and to replace it with gospel truth, with praise, with gratitude over who you are and what you have done. We, we even choose right now, Lord, to repent how this is such an affront to you, how often we are worshiping our, ourselves and not you, which leads to this grumbling spirit, Lord. And so thank you for your word. Thank you that it points us to the truth. Thank you that it is a magnifying glass that shows us our sin. Thank you that through it, we can know you and the power of your resurrection and, be, and become like you in this life. Would you help us to do that? We love you. In your name, amen.